Hi, I'm Gigi, and this is Driven Minds, a Type 7 podcast. So how many of you would rather put knives in your eyes than speak in front of a live audience? My hand is raised. Perhaps much to your surprise, and mine as well, actually, the only anxiety I do not get is social anxiety. I love being in groups of people, love a group dinner, take me out for a night on the town and I'll be friends with everyone in the bar about 10 minutes after I walk in. But put me in front of a crowd with a spotlight and a microphone and you will have to scrape me off the floor. There's just something about people sitting silently, all eyes on you, watching you talk, that is choke-worthy, for lack of a better word. I even asked my producer to leave the room when we record these intros because otherwise I just freeze up and the words that I want to say don't come to me or come out of my mouth. But we all want to face our fears someday because life is too short to be scared of anything, let alone stage fright. So... That day came, actually, a couple of weeks back at the IAA Mobility Conference in Munich, Germany, where Type 7 put on a pop-up event, and it felt like a mini festival. It was three days of talks, performances, mini art exhibitions. I actually DJed with my producer, Michael, and it was all in this awesome warehouse space. And because we're part of the Type 7 family, they invited us to record a live episode in front of a very live audience. We invited the photographer Julian Boudet to be our guest slash guinea pig for our first live recording. And you'll hear a full rundown on Julian in a second, but I just want to say how perfect he was for this episode for one simple reason. He's easily the chillest person I've ever met. You know how some people's presence gives you anxiety? Like you'll leave a hangout with them feeling more anxious than when you arrived. So his presence is the total opposite. It actually calms my anxiety. Did that chill rub off on me? Maybe eventually, but you could be the judge of that because for the first 20 seconds, I was so nervous. I was choking on my words. It felt like my throat was closing up. And you'll actually hear this in the episode. I did not want to edit it because I am so sick of pretending experiences are anything other than what they are. Imperfect and weird and awkward and all the things. And that is life. Anywho, I'm going to stop ranting and let's go live at the IAA in Munich, Germany for my conversation with Julian Boudet. Welcome to the first live recording of the Driven Minds podcast. My name is Gigi, and I'm the host of the Driven Minds podcast with Type 7. And I'm excited to be here today, but I'm also honestly so nervous because I get the worst stage fright. Like whenever I speak in front of more than one person, I kind of lose it. So Just letting you know that that is just trying to set the stage right now as to where I'm at mentally. Um, But we are going to jump in right now to this live recording with Julian. And I'm so excited that 
you can see him here live because he's the most stylish person that I know. So it's very cool to do this live so you guys can witness the, the cool factor here today. And um, I want to also introduce Julian. He is a photographer and installation artist with a very impressive social following as well. He started out shooting street style. Mm-hmm. And he's worked with brands like Prada, Tiffany's, Burberry, Adidas. And recently, he also collaborated on a capsule collection for Lacoste. Um, and he also had his first solo exhibition earlier this year in January. Uh, I first met Julian when I was an editor at W. We had a shoot together in Tbilisi, Georgia. They have a fashion week there, if you can believe it. Um, so we went to Georgia to collaborate on some fashion stuff over there. And he's also, besides W, he shot for Vogue, GQ, L. I mean, truly everyone. Um, and also, this is worth mentioning, Vogue called him in a headline, no less, the, I know you're going to hate this, sorry, not sorry, the French heartthrob of street style photography. So please give a warm welcome to Julian Boudet. (laughs) He also, by the way, flew in from Paris for this conversation, so we feel very grateful to have him. Uh, And also, if you don't already know Julian, his brand name is Blue Mode, um, and his website is Blue Mode, his Instagram is Blue Mode, and it's always been a bit of a mystery of sorts who this Blue Mode guy is. Where does, it's true, where does this uh, name come from? Well, I'm from south of France, so Blue Mode Bleu is from blue for the sea, uh-huh. and mode is fashion in French, so Blue Mode, because I wanted to shoot fashion when I started, and I still shoot fashion. And what was it like growing up in the south of France? Like, what kind of community are you from? And can you tell us a bit about your background? Um, I'm from a town called Set. Mm-hmm. It's like a small town. There's like 45,000 people. Um, it's right by the sea. So, you know, it was super nice growing up there. You know, you go to the beach every day. But then at some point, like, when you grow up, there's no jobs. When, you know, you're like, 18, 19, you're trying to, trying to work, trying to make some money, and, but there's not, not, not that many jobs unless you want to be a fisherman or something. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, then we're going <laughs> to, then I had to move. Okay, so you're growing up in south of France, and you realize that in some capacity, your life there is kind of on a certain trajectory. If you stay, you have to do a certain job, right? Yeah, like, like- my... My dad was a docker. He worked on a port of my hometown. My grandfather as well. Right. So I guess, you know, I should have been a, a docker, like working on a port as well. But uh-huh. um, yeah, I decided to, to leave and to do something else. Did you go to college? Yeah, I went to college okay. in the south. I studied business first. Okay. Uh, I graduated in business. And then, and, then I, and then I was unemployed for like a year, and then I moved to New York. And what did you, did you do any jobs during college, or how did you like support yeah, yourself? Yeah, I, on the weekend, I was working at McDonald's. Okay. Um, so it was like a part-time job. I, w- I, was, I would go to school the, throughout the week, and then on the weekend, go work at McDonald's. And eventually you decided to leave McDonald's and then move to New York, or how did, how did that happen? Yeah, I had to get the unemployment to move to New York to have like some kind of financial help. 
So I had to get fired from McDonald's in order to move, you know, to have like, you know, some, some help. <laughs> and then, yeah, I got, I got fired and then eventually I moved to New York in like 2008. But you purposely got yourself fired from McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> How did you do that? What was, what was this plan you concocted to get fired from McDonald's? Well, it's not easy to get fired from McDonald's. Like, I was the only person they fired at the time. Really? In like 10 years. Okay, so it's like a, a metal situation. Yeah, because yeah, <laughs> it costs too much money to fire someone right. in France. Right. So yeah, I had to manage to find a way. So then, <laughs> what was your way? I'm dying to well, know. I had to curse the, the manager. What did you say to him? <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> and that did the trick. They're like, you and, are gone, uh, motherfucker. that worked out. Okay. So <laughs> you, you have all this unemployment money from McDonald's. And you, are you getting this for, do you get it over a period of time? or? Yeah, it's every month. You get it every month. So you have this employment money from? For two years. For two years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a nice side firing gig to, to have. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so then why do you want to move to New York from the south of France? Well, because I didn't really feel like going to Paris because I needed like a big change. I didn't want to stay, <clears throat> stay in France with like the same people. Paris is not like super international as New York. Right. So, you know, I wanted to have just to move and like also to learn English as well. Uh-huh. Um, and the States was uh, attracting to me, for sure. Especially in New York. Because right. Because I knew it was, you know, the city of hip-hop. And, like, I know, like, it's super busy. There's, like, you know, some special energy. And I've seen the movies as well at the time. Uh-huh. So I wanted to check it out. What movies of New York did you see that was particularly inspiring? I I'm mean, curious also because I'm from New York. <laughs> <laughs> Many movies, but, you know, where you see the city, like all the Spike Lee movies, for example. Like, you know. Right. So did you move to New York with any sort of goal? Because, I mean, it's a pretty big thing to just pick up and move to this metropolis where, I mean, New York's a tough fucking place to live in. So did you know anyone there? Or, like, how did that happen? You just, like, up and went? Yeah, no, I didn't know anyone. I didn't know anyone, and like, but I knew it was the, like the, the right fit for me, and I wanted to explore and like get to know the city and at least try it, even if it wasn't gonna work. I wanted to try. I was like 22, you know, I had nothing to lose. So. Right. Did you know you wanted to be a photographer at this point, or you had no, no. idea? You had no idea what you no. wanted to do, but you just felt a calling and a yeah. pull towards New York. I needed like a big change, even if it was in New York. I need to leave, like. Right. My hometown. So. so you get to New York, you have this McDonald's money <laughs> that they're sending you every month. Every month, yeah. What are, what are the first couple of months look like for you? And what year was this? Well, it was 2008. Okay. Um, it was like December, so it was super cold. Uh, in south of France, it's, it's, not like, it's not as cold, obviously. Like, it doesn't snow. I didn't have like the, the right clothes because I was like, you know, you just have, I had like a leather jacket and a tracksuit, I remember, and it was freezing. And I just did like uh, many random jobs, anything I could find because I didn't have the social or the paperwork to work legally. So I had to like find like, you know, small jobs that you can, you get paid in cash. Uh, I, f- I found most of them through Craigslist. 
through Craigslist. At the time, it was like very popular. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, and then I started like to, you know, explore, meet people, going around the city, like learn how to navigate the subway and all that. And then you learn English on the way? Yeah, I mean, I, I knew already like the, I knew how, I knew how to read, but like speaking was very difficult. Right. Um, so I had to re- work on that, like, you know, practicing every day. Yeah. Yeah, listen, I mean, I've lived in Germany for four years and my <laughs> German is appalling. So I can imagine how, how difficult that'd be to learn English. What kind of odd jobs were you taking during this time? I did like anything I could find, really. I just need to make money. So like handing out flyer, flyers on the street for uh-huh. like, you know, tax return companies. Right. <laughs> um, I did the pedicab situation, you know, when you you drive, you ride a bike and you have the like tourist in your back. I did like dishwasher, um, what is it called? Um, busboy. Uh-huh, yeah, busboy. Yeah, of course. Runner. I didn't do waiter because I, I didn't want to talk to the, the people. But mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I did many, many jobs. I also taught French to like some American who wanted to learn French. So how long are you doing these odd jobs before you find photography? Um, probably like two, three years. Two, three years. Mm-hmm. What's keeping you going? Because it's, I mean, are you getting fulfillment from these jobs? No, I knew I was going to do something else. But in the, in the meantime, you have to make money. You have of to course. Pay, pay the rent and the bills. So I just, you know, I knew I was going to do something. I didn't know what I was going to do yet. But, um, right. And I knew I had to stay in New York because I, I love the energy. And, you know, it's very like, it's like a very special place. Right. And I was meeting a lot of people, interesting people, so I knew I knew there was something to do there. How did you find photography then? How did you really fall into it? And Well, I just picked up a camera as soon as I got there, like a few months after, just to snap some photos of the city and, you know, send them to my mom, uh-huh. post them on Facebook for my friends back in my hometown to see and, you know, to see my new life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I started like that, just shooting the the buildings, the architecture in New York. Um, and then when I do something, I like to do it like properly. So I, you know, I was doing my best to take nice photos, and then you know, step by step, I, I kind of like got into it, and I realized that I enjoyed doing this. Uh-huh. So I was like, oh, maybe you know, if I that could be my job, maybe you know, but I had no no clue like I didn't know how the this industry works right the photography, fashion yeah not even fashion but just photography like how do you make money with photography you know yeah um but at the same time I was also into you know I liked fashion like style most styles in fashion but right I was into style I was you know going to fashion week outside of the shows to see how it is and but that was like 2011 Okay, so how did you fall into street style then? Like, how did you become well, a street style photographer? One day I was, but that was back to 2010, I think. Okay. Or nine, probably 10. Anyway, I was in Soho walking around and then some guy stopped me and he was a street style photographer. He had a blog. His name is Dapper Lou. 
Mm. Yeah, I know that one. Still, yeah. yeah, that was really big back then. He's still taking photos to yeah. this day. Um, so he stopped me and he asked to take my photos, my photo, and I was like, yeah, sure. But, you know, I didn't really get why, because I, I didn't know street style photography was a thing. So anyway, you know, he takes my photos and then the, the, the same night I go on, on his website and I, you know, I see my face. I was like, oh, that's, that's kind of cool. And the, what were you wearing, if you know what I'm asking, that he stopped you to take your photo? I, was, <laughs> I mean, I was wearing like, um, like denim, blue denim and then like a varsity jacket. Okay. Like a college, U.S. college okay. that I bought in a vintage store. Trendy. <laughs> and and some Nike Air Jordan One, I think. Okay. Silver. Cool. And yeah. So anyway, that's how I found out about street style photography. And then it was at the same time where I realized I liked taking photos. So and I had never tried to shoot a model like someone at least. So as the same guy. We kept in touch. We kind of like became friends. The guy then, who took your photo. Yeah. So I was like, well, now I want to take your photo because, you know, I also like photography. I like to try it out. So I took his photo and that was like the first time I shot a model. The first time ever. And then, you know, then I started going around in Soho and like do the same thing as he was doing, like shooting people just for fun. And eventually, a few weeks after, like, I got a first job as a street star photographer. Wow. And that was kind of like the beginning. You, you shot this guy that ended up shooting you. <laughs> and then what was the, the path here? Like, did you... Well, then it just, you know, it just happened naturally. Like, I started shooting more and more. Like, so you meet more people and then, you know, you get better at it. And then you start traveling back to Europe, actually, you know, for the fashion weeks. And then you meet more people and then you have more jobs and then more travel. And then that's how, you know, that's how it happens. So what was your first big job? Yeah, I don't know. Like, what's a, what's a big job? Whatever you felt was big at the time. It was maybe when I was shooting the, the Louis Vuitton windows on, on Fifth Avenue. It's not really fashion photography, but, you know, it was like the biggest check I got uh, with my camera, uh -huh. it was, I was still in school, so it was probably 2012, it was before I started Blue Mod. Okay, all right, so you went to school in New York? Yeah, I, I went to Parsons for two years. You went to Parsons. Okay, and I think around this time, because I've known Julian for a few years, and I know that he, um, he ended up having an accident where he ended up getting shot, like not by a camera, but by a bullet. And I'm curious if you could, if you could talk about this, because I actually also don't really know the full mm -hmm. story. Like, what is the play-by-play -play of this? Well, it was like in June 2011. Okay. And uh, I was just at the beach, in, uh, at Bright Brighton Beach in Brooklyn. It's a um, hard, tough area as well. Yeah. <laughs> But I would go there because uh, I didn't know, like, and I had some friends who so would go together. Um, and yeah, that day I was just like walking to to meet someone on on the boardwalk by the by the sand. At night? No, it was like 5 p.m. Okay, so like literally daylight. Yeah, yeah daylight. Yeah, and then um, you know there was a fight that happened right behind me, 
and then I heard like some gunshots that I thought were uh, fireworks in the beginning because you know you don't really believe it's like gunshots like 5 p.m. Right. And it was super crowded as well. Um, but it was actually gunshots and then um, yeah there was five gunshots and the last one was uh, in my leg. Jesus Christ. So you so you hear these gunshots so they're like really near you like you hear the yeah, yeah the, it's right behind me and they were you, actually shooting at the people there was a group of people right behind me and they were shooting at them so I was really right next to it so you're like caught in a gang fight essentially yeah pretty much <laughs> what happens immediately after I mean like after you get shot like what does one do well like you just wait for the ambulance but there was like uh, five five people shot including me, but I was like the least serious because I was shot in the leg and all the other guys that were shot in the upper body. Um, there was a girl, she was 16, she died because she was oh shot like, in, in the throat. Um, so yeah, it was like a pretty intense <laughs> situation. Did you see all this happening in front of you? I didn't see them getting shot, but I saw them on the floor because we were all um, like laying next to each other pretty much. What, so what happened immediately after? Because you also, you don't have healthcare set up yet, do you? No. So what, what happens? Well, I was, uh, I was thinking about that actually. I was really? like suffering, but also like what I'm gonna do now because I don't have insurance. And then, so there was a cop that stayed next to me throughout the whole time, like waiting for the ambulance because he thought I was involved in the, in the fight. So oh he didn't wanna let me go. I mean, anyway, I wasn't going to go anywhere, but, you know, it was, it was right. just stay next to me. And then I was like, and then the ambulance come eventually because I was the last one, you know, that they took care of because I was the least serious. So I had to wait like at least half an hour or something. Um, and then they took us to the hospital all together. Um, but then I was telling the guy, the, the cop, look, what, what am I doing? I don't have insurance. Like, don't, don't take me to the hospital because, you know, oh, no. I can't pay. Yeah. You know, if it's like 10K or something. But then it was like, no, it's fine. Don't worry. Like, you know, worst case, you just give a fake uh, social and that's fine, you know. The cop told you yeah, to give I a swear. fake social? I swear. <laughs> you really lucked out with a cop. That's usually, the American healthcare system is fucking awful. That's I know. pretty... But in the end, I, I gave my real name and everything because I knew I was, I was going to sue something, someone, something <laughs> after. <laughs> That's the American way, I exactly. Sue works. anyone you can. Yeah. I knew how it works. Uh, but also, I wasn't involved in this. So, you right. Know, but yeah, eventually, uh, they took me to the hospital, but they didn't treat me very well because they, they thought I was involved in this. And they're like, oh, you guys play with guns and... You know, now you come here, and I was like, I was just walking by, you know. That's so fucked. So but then all the cops come, they came to the hospital as well, you know, asking me so many questions, like, which gang are you in? And I was like, I, I was just passing by. I don't know. Oh I don't my know God. These guys. But yeah, it was a New York experience. So, welcome to New York. <laughs> That's insane. So eventually they end up believing you, right? Yeah, like you yeah, somehow yeah, get yeah. out of it. Yeah, of course. They clear your name. And yeah. then. But then I went to court like three years after. Three years it took yeah, them. To testify. Unreal. So what is the m mental toll that this took on you? Like, I can't even imagine how to process getting shot. Like, what was that like for you? 
was like, it's like the most painful thing that happened to me. And I went to the ER many times, but this is like <laughs> by far the most painful. Um, I wasn't really traumatized, but you know, it's shocking, of course, but, you know, I was okay with it. I'm pretty chill, so. I know, you are really the chillest person that I've ever spoken to, ever. So, that's also, maybe we can, I can learn from you here. Um, so, could you walk after, or what was that, what was the recovery period I mean, like? And No, I couldn't walk, obviously, but, uh, you know, pretty soon after I could walk, but they didn't want to remove my bullet, so the bullet was still in my leg for, like, almost a month. So I, I was running and, you know, doing anything, but I still had the bullet in my leg. That's I had insane. to go to another hospital in the city to get it removed eventually. Oh my God. But yeah, it took a while. Why didn't they want Because wanna... I didn't have insurance. Right, so right. So they know I'm not going to pay, so they don't want to, you know, they don't want to do it. Unreal. <laughs> That's wild. Only in New York. Okay, so you get you you have this accident, and then are you in school during this time, or what's the trajectory I here? I was about to go to Parsons. Actually, I had applied to Parsons in April, the same year, and then in I think in June I got or July I got accepted. I think I got accepted before, but I wasn't sure I was gonna do this because. You know, it's still, it's still like a lot of money to pay right. to go to school in the States. And for anyone who doesn't know, Parsons is a very big fashion and photography school. Um, so it's one of the leading ones in New York. So even getting in is honestly a huge feat. Yeah, so they had like, they gave me like some, some scholarship that would pay half of it, but it was still, it was still expensive. So I wasn't sure um, I wanted to do that to do that because it was like, a bit risky, you know, to <laughs> to pay that much. Um, but yeah, eventually I found my way, and you know, the fact that I got shot the, the the week before, I was like, you know, just do it, and I'll figure it out later. You know, you never know what happens anyway, so I just take the risk and I do it. So, how long were you at Parsons for? Uh, two years, then I dropped out. You dropped out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And what'd you do when you, or why'd you drop out? Uh, why? Because I, I had a student visa when, when I was in school. Right. And so with you could a stay student here. visa, you cannot work because you, you, not, you don't have a social. Mm -hmm. So when I was in school and I thought I was ready to apply for the artist visa that allows you to work, I applied while I was in school and my visa got, a, got approved in like June 2013. Mm -hmm. And then, so then I never went, went back to school in September and I started working then full-time. And full-time meaning you could totally support yourself, no more yeah, yeah, odd jobs, yeah, no that, more... That was it. Yeah, that was the beginning. And were you mostly hired for street style stuff with publications or... What was that? Because to make your own way and make your own living in New York is like, yeah. I mean, it is the most unnecessarily expensive city ever. Yeah, I mean, but I was, I was living in Crown Heights uh, in uh -huh. Brooklyn at the time, so it was quite cheap before I got gentrified. So it was like super cheap. And, and so, yeah, I could like support myself and just with photography. Uh, but it was mostly street style jobs in the beginning, yeah. But that was fine, like I... 
I enjoyed it. Yeah. You know, it was fun. So mostly street style in the beginning, and then how did you work for brands like Adidas, Dior, Prada? Well, you know, <laughs> I, I was doing like my commercials, freestyle jobs, and on the side right. I was practicing my, you know, more editorial, uh, this type of jobs. So because I knew I, I would get tired of street style at some point. Right. And yeah, that's kind of like how I, I changed my direction step by step. But yeah. everything, you know, takes time for sure. <laughs> and I mean, now you're shooting for all these magazines and these, and these big brands. I'm curious if you ever get imposter syndrome at all, because I mean, for me, I remember when I got my first DJ gig with LVMH and it was for this Louis Vuitton event in New York City. I had been DJing for like two years and I walk into the space and I see my DJ booth like suspended in the middle of the store with like a million lights around it. And I was like, whoa, 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 I can't play there. Like that <laughs> has to be for another DJ. And I, I really, it was like, you know, there was a total dissonance between how I felt I was as a DJ and my own talents versus what they booked me for. Mm-hmm. Obviously they believed in me, but I didn't believe in yeah, myself. Yeah. Did you have any moments like that where you're like, whoa, 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 this is kind of too big of a job or... I mean, yeah, but it was, I was more like happy about it more than, you know, feeling bad about this. You or know, doubting was, yourself. Yeah. yeah, I was more like, oh, yeah, I worked hard for this and, you know, mm. it pays off. So, you know, it's, it's cool. Like, you know, I'm pretty happy about it. But yeah, it was, it's more like that way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious because, you know, you have had so many high points in your life, in your career, and it did take off in a way that most people's don't. What was your lowest point in your life that you can think of? It was probably when, when I finished school, like college, and like I didn't really know what I was going to do. In college um, in France? Yeah, in France, yeah. before I moved to New York. Yeah, like I was a bit lost. I, I didn't really know what I liked. I didn't really know what direction take mm-hmm. to take, you know, I guess that was before I moved to New York and when I finished uh, college. Yeah. That was the... Because, you know, it's hard to know what, what to do. <laughs> of course. When you're like 18, 19, uh, in the South, there's not that many, you know, jobs you can do. Like, I would never thought... I would, I would have never thought I would be, become like a photographer. Right. Like, for me, it wasn't even a job. Yeah, incredible. You know, like why people pay you to yeah. <laughs> to take photos, you know, like even my mom doesn't really get it. Really? Yeah. Even to today day, she's yeah. like, what the fuck do you do with your life? Like why they fly <laughs> you to Hong Kong to shoot something? There's no photographers in Hong Kong, you know, for example, like this That's kind of so thing. That's so funny. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, you know, for me it wasn't really a job. Like, yeah. And you're like, mom, I have my own aesthetic. I've, I've <laughs> yeah, been developing like, this for over a how decade. How do you explain this, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I'm also curious about why you stuck it out in New York for those two years, because what you said about finishing college in France also reminds me of what you said about New York, where you had those two years where you were doing odd jobs and you weren't really there for a reason that you knew yet, but you knew you had to stay. Why did you stay? I knew something was going to happen for me, you know, like I... Like intuitively? Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I love the energy in New York. Like I love the the people I meet. Yeah. There, so I was like, you know, 
you just have to stay there and like keep exploring, like meeting people, mm -hmm. um, be curious, and then you know find something you you really like, and and then eventually you know I'm sure. I mean, I knew that was gonna happen. Right. And we discussed lowest point. What was the highest point in your life that you can? I mean, in my career, in yeah. my life, in my career, it's like the the Lacoste collaboration for me. It's like the for sure the highest point. It was in June, so it was not too long ago. You did a capsule collection. Yeah, we did a capsule collection, uh, like a collaboration with Le Mode, and then um, and then I shot it, and we did like a nice pop up where, where I did all the creative direction. It was it was great, and it's one of my favorite bands. So for me, it's like yeah, well, French, right? I yeah. feel like it's a French connection. <laughs> I have a couple more questions. Henry Cartier-Bresson once said, "Your first ten thousand photos are your worst." How many photos do you think you've taken in your life? Like just you've got the the chips. You go through the edits. How just approximately? <laughs> I have no idea. Millions. Yeah, I think so. Okay, that's a. Especially when I was shooting street style, like right, I was right. shooting a lot, a lot every day, yeah, for like, for like a month every day. So yeah, <laughs> but it's, it's good practice. Yeah, know? and looking back on your old photos, do you like seeing them? Like, do you look back at them with yeah. excitement and pleasure? You kind of look back with like, oh my god, I can't believe I did this because I also remember looking back at some of the first articles I wrote, and I'm just like, put my Hands in my head of like, oh my god, I can't no, believe that actually. I enjoy, I enjoy looking at them because for me it's part of the process. You know, you you grow, you you start practicing. You know, you get better, and yeah. it's, it's cool to look at the you know your first images. Yeah. We have one more question, and that is, what drives you? I think it's like competition, even if it's like with myself, like. Pushing, you know, pushing your limits. Always do better. Uh, explore, experiment, do something new. Um, competing with yourself, but also obviously with like other artists, photographers, whatever. But you know, because I always trying to do better than what I've done. <laughs> well, thank you so much, everyone, for being here today and for sharing this time with us. Can we give a round of applause to our guest? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That, my friends, was Julian Boudet, live at the IAA or the EAA, if you're German, which I'm not, but I want to be. You can follow Julian on Instagram at BlueMode. That's B-L-E-U-M-O-D-E. And you can follow me at Gillian Sigansky, where you can DM me with comments, questions, concerns, feelings about this episode or any episode. I'm here for all of it. I'm going to go practice my French. Until next time, or à la prochaine, as they say in the south of France, according to Google Translate.